Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Kyle, if that's true, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. I'm Joe Marino of NDT Scouting and FanRag Sports. I'm joined by Kyle Krabs, who's the founder and director of scouting with NDT Scouting, also with FanRag Sports. Happy Monday, everyone. Uh, We are here to get into all kinds of football stuff. We're going to recap the weekend that was in college football, talk about some of the rookie performances from the past weekend in the NFL, and get into some of the other exciting football news from the weekend. Kyle, welcome to the show here on a Monday. Thanks, Joe. Uh, I don't know about you, but Victory Monday is yes. always nice. So I, I know I can speak for myself here when I say I'm having the time of my life. Having the time of his life. Today, yes. Joe, 4-2 and two feels so good. So good. Yes. I hear you. I am also – well, the Bills are 4-2, and two, and holy crap was that unexpected, uh, you know, tanking, whatever. No, the Bills find ways to win. They play good defense, opportunistic offense. And, uh, man, I'm having fun on Sundays, and it's weird. Uh, you're, you're scoring points, too, right? Like, Buffalo's getting putting some pretty good points up on the board, it seems like, on a weekly basis. It's it's opportunistic. It's not consistent. But, I mean, the defense is setting them up so well. I mean, the, Sean McDermott's squad, it just forces turnovers, man. Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. Pass rushes getting home uh, on certain occasions and stripping the football, and it's really setting the Bills' offense up because they're not you're not really don't have the guys outside right now to keep the chains moving. Uh, but oh, you uh, mean Zay Jones and his forty percent drop rates not cutting it? Oh, and it's it, he he dropped another one. I mean he's he's got like uh, six drops and twenty seven targets or something this yeah, year. That's Caught not five. Pa- I mean he's him and Tim and Tyrod Taylor just. It's just not clicking right now, but Deontay Thompson had a 100-yard game just like we all expected when he was signed on Tuesday, so uh, good win for the Bills, and then, uh, you know, I guess congrats on the Dolphins. Oh, come on. you got to give a little love to a 28-14 comeback, our second consecutive comeback in as many weeks. Uh, Joe, last week against the Falcons, they were down 17, came back and won 2017. This week, down entering the fourth quarter, 
28 to 14. Came back and won 31-28. Uh, the last time the Dolphins had successive comebacks of those margins was 1980. Man. I was negative 9. Neg- oh, wow. I was negative, negative nine. 9 the last time the Dolphins had two weeks of come-from-behind victories. The caliber that they've had these past two weeks. Literally the time of my life. What is 13, 13 and 4 over the last 17? Last 17 regular season games, the Miami Dolphins are 13 and 4. Man, I, I think that's uh, that's that's not luck, huh? That's that's a trend. I, I mean, it's yeah, it's you, you make your own <laughs> luck to some degree. Opportunistic plays, Joe, just like you talked about with the Bills this year. Yeah, where you know opportunistic offense, situational football, you know, clutch execution down the stretch, not making mistakes. Those 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 were things that Miami has done the past two weeks. Um, yeah, San Diego or San Diego, L.A. Chargers <laughs> game was lucky week one or week two, actually, our, our season opener. Um, but other than that, I mean, these, these past two weeks, it's, it's been about execution down the stretch, and it's, that's good coaching. Indeed. McDermott and Gase is going to change the landscape in the uh, AFC East We're just coming, as soon as Belichick. we get Tom Brady to retire. We're He's coming, still in the Bill. way. You know, actually, uh, I, I, real quick, I have an interesting yeah. question for you. Okay. How many years after Tom Brady retires do you give Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots? I think they go together. It's, you, it's you not. You do think they go? You think it's yeah. a package deal? Yeah, there, there will not be a Brady team without Belichick. There won't be a Belichick team without Brady. They go the same Interesting. year. Interesting. You know, I was I was kind of small talking with somebody, and I kind of wrestled with it, and I think it makes sense. You know, just just kind of ride off into the sunset together. Hopefully, without any more Super Bowl championships. Respect everything you guys have done, but let somebody <laughs> else have it for once. I mean, geez, Louise. If they won the Super Bowl this year. And it's a guarantee that they would retire at the end of it. Would you oh, concede it right stop. now? No, you can't. You can't ask me. Would that. you take it right now, Kyle? <sighs> Probably. Because <laughs> no, because I, I'm already having to deal with them be champions for this year. So what's another twelve months of it? If I know it's like it's it's like the band aid method, you just get it over with. Yeah, I think there's some statistic that I saw that um, Tom Brady's percentage of appearances in the Super Bowl are over the course of all of the Super Bowls, the amount of Super Bowls that he's been in, the percentage of them are greater than Russell Westbrook's career field goal percentage. That's insane. Yeah, that's just stupidness. So (laughs) you can have one more if you retire. But uh, hopefully, I mean, ideally they just start sucking. And uh, sorry to the Patriots That's not going to happen. No, you know what? It's not sorry. They've been so good for 17 years. 16 years. If if they wake up tomorrow and they are a terrible, terrible football team, I'm not going to feel sorry for them at all. Are you, Mister no. Mister Joe Marino? Has Buffalo Bills have made the playoffs since 1998? You're going to feel sorry for the Patriots? I don't feel sorry for anybody, Kyle. No. But you know who's not a terrible football team, Kyle? Who's that? Notre Dame Fighting oh, Irish. Oh, you know what? Um, great segue. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is my formal apology to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I I picked against the spread. Um, Second consecutive week of doing terrible, so if you've learned anything from the past two weeks, uh, don't listen to my spread takes in the month of October. Uh, I went 1-3 and three this week, and Notre Dame, uh, essentially my lead to the pick was uh, USC has underperformed all year, but if there's one team in the country you can rely on to not show up for a big game more than USC, it's Notre Dame. And, um, yeah, Notre Dame came out and just, Kicked the hell out of USC all up and down that football field and punched him in the mouth. And USC had no idea what hit him. And Sam Darnold couldn't catch a snap. And 
Uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to talk about Josh Adams here in a little bit, but my goodness, that offensive line, they, they, they just got after the Trojans. And um, you guys have a great football team. It's an interesting, uh, interesting roster construction. I, I look at a team like Notre Dame, and then I look at a team like Penn State, and it's like, well, they both got really dynamic running backs. They've got good running games. Uh, they got size on the boundary. They've both got mobile, big-armed quarterbacks to push the ball down the field who are kind of erratic as passers. And there's some pretty uh, pretty interesting parallels between those two teams. And uh, you could very easily argue, and I, w- I would not argue with you, that Notre Dame's offensive line is much more physically dominating than Penn State's. They just don't have a generational blue-chip running back like Notre Dame does, or like Penn State does. So... Um, yeah, Notre Dame, I would like to formally apologize for doubting you. You are legit. You know, the one loss against Georgia, who is a great football team in their own right. I'm interested to see, Notre Dame, how you play out the second half of the year because you might have something on your hands here with the schedule that, you, the, that they're looking at the rest of the way. Yeah, you know, I, I rushed home from Durham to you know be in front of the TV by 7, 7 o'clock to see these two primetime games, Notre Dame, USC, and Michigan, Penn State. Neither one of them were competitive. <laughs> so uh, th- th- there you have it. Kyle, how, how many more days to the NFL draft? 185. 185. Yeah, so uh, a relevant number that is parallel to the number 185. This is not 185th selection. This is two Hall of Famers, John Randall, interior defensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings, and Johnny Yu. Johnny Unitas both started 185 games during their respective careers in the NFL. So today, Monday, October 23rd, 185 days away from the 2018 NFL Draft, that number is parallel with two of the all-time greats, the number of games that they graced us with playing in the National Football League. What was John Randall, six foot, 280 pounds, played oh, defensive yeah, he, tackle? He's so. um, <laughs> ahead of his time, kind of, wasn't he, as far as, like, yeah, just, yeah. just just super twitchy, kind of a tweener guy. You know, you we always hear about tweener guys, like, back in the tweener guys now, back in the day, you're not sure where they would have had a home in the NFL, right? Um Randall's kind of a poster child for if you're a great football player, eh, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Come on, and Randall, you know I I my memories of football really only remember the back half of his career, but he was awesome. Yeah, he he was so high motor and violent and stout and explosive. So uh, hat tip to both of those guys. You know, obviously Johnny Hughes' time came and went before uh, I knew what football was, but you see the tapes and you hear the stories and read the stories. And obviously both of those guys have contributed a great deal to the game of football as we know it today. 10, 10 seasons of over uh, nine and a half sacks for John Randall across his, as an interior guy, as an interior guy, yeah, across his 14 seasons, 137 and a half for his career, you know, back, back um, in, in his era when he was in his prime and I guess the mid early nineties area, uh, he, man, defensive tackles were just fat guys, right? Big fat guys to stop the run, mostly a lot of 3-4, man. But John Randall was getting after it, and uh, he'd, he'd be a fun guy to come out right now to see the takes on, uh, on how people treated his size. So, hey, good call, Kyle. That's solid, man. You got yeah, to I'm, t- have- I'm two for two, right? 
you are two for two with strong yes. um, with strong numbers, man. So what do we got? This is 185, so we're 183. 183. Pressure's Wednesday. on you, Joe. Pressure's is it coming back to me? Yeah, I'm kicking it back to you. All right. I'll see what I can do. I, I After my, I pulled that Vanderbilt coach, that coach in the early 1900s, man, it was time, <laughs> it was time <laughs> it was for time Kyle to pull it off. And he, he came through for us. Um, Kyle, let's uh, let's talk for just a second here about some of the rookie performances that we saw this weekend in the NFL, ooh, and, and obviously ooh, I watched ooh, the Bills game. Ooh, ooh, what you got? Can we can we talk about Eddie Jackson? We can. Can I talk about the Bills first? You before? certainly may, even though you you already gave your big spiel about the Bills at the top of the show. It's fine. Did, Go, ahead. Did, Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Talk specifically about Jadavius White, the rookie of the year, the defensive rookie of the year. I don't Stop care. It. Get get no, there's no he's he's been terrific all year long, and then he comes up with you know the Bills they uh, they squandered their lead, allowed Tampa Bay to tie the game up. Actually, and uh, Tre'Davious White comes through with a, a terrific strip and recovery to set Buffalo up for the game-winning field goal, and it's a microcosm of the way the guys played all year, man. He's been lights out in coverage. He gave up the one pass to A.J. Green, but uh, otherwise he is breaking on the football. He's playing physical, and he's been reliable, and uh, you know, on the other side of, of him has been this revolving door of E.J. Gaines when he's healthy and Sharice Wright, which is not necessarily like your great counterpart. And then uh, Sir Davis White's holding on the fort, and I think the Buffalo Bills have themselves a a fixture there on the left cornerback position. Man, I am I am elated about uh, the current defensive rookie of the year, Tredavious White. Now, before I talk about Eddie, I got to ask you seriously, seriously, yeah. if you had to pick a defensive rookie of the year right now, who would it be? I'm honest to God. Stop throw, it. Stop you know, listen, it. Throw away the fan goggles. It's Trey White, man. It's look at I know that like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I looked at him like two weeks ago. His passer rating against him is is off the charts low. He's uh he's leading the NFL in pass breakups, so when he is tested, he's knocking the ball away at the catch point. He scored uh, the defensive touchdown. He's got a couple interceptions. He's stripping the football. I mean, like he's like Peanut Tillman like player right now on the outside in this Buffalo defense. And uh, you know, I I I know what you're going to say here. You're going to spin this here in another direction, but give me Trey White all day and what he's doing. Okay, and what direction do you think I'm going to spin it? You're going to go Eddie Jackson. No, please. Eddie Jackson's not my choice because he had two 75-plus yard touchdowns on yeah. Sunday, single-handedly beating the Carolina hashtag Keep Pounding Panthers. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, probably my choice would be between Marshawn Lattimore and Jamal Adams. Those guys are playing awesome football so far this year. They are. Not as good as Trey White, but oh my good players. Goodness. Okay, so let's talk about Eddie. Let's talk about Eddie. Uh, one of my favorite pre-draft spots that I did was I talked with uh, the fine folks over at SB Nation's Dolphins uh, group, the Finsiders. And they, they have Finsider Radio, and they had me on, and they asked me, like, who are some of your guys that like you feel like would be good targets for the Dolphins to go after in the, in the draft. And I said, I'll tell you what, like, I don't think he's going to go in the first round, but if I was picking a team um, and picking off of my board, like Alabama safety Eddie Jackson would be uh, right up there near the top of my board considering what the Dolphins' needs were for a first-round pick. And I got skewered, Joe, like just destroyed by Dol- – like somebody, somebody legitimately asked, who the hell is Eddie Jackson? Somebody asked, on what planet does Eddie Jackson go on day one? And here we are, 
October 23rd. And I don't know how much uh, Chicago Bears defensive tape you've had the chance to watch, but this is not just like a one-week synopsis for Eddie. Like, this is kind of the the culmination of several weeks of, like, really strong play and being physical in the back end as a single high and you know, having a lot of range. And, you know, he was putting a hurting on receivers at the catch point last week. And now all of a sudden he's got great closing burst on a tip ball and runs it back for 75-yard pick six. And well, obviously he's just kind of a right place, right time on the fumble recovery. But first player in NFL history to have two 75-plus-yard touchdowns as a defensive player. So, Eddie... Uh, certainly making me look like I actually know what I'm talking about. So that's, that's really cool. Um, and I may or may not have retweeted a couple of those tweets from back in, <laughs> in late uh, March, early April, asking who the hell Eddie Jackson was. We, we would expect nothing less from you, of Kyle. Course, how, of course. It was a first-round grade for you, right? You only had like uh, 15 first-round grades, something like that, yeah, 12? I, I, I had 17 this year. Okay, 17. 17. And... Eddie was 14th on my board. Yeah, so – uh, nice, nicely done, sir. Nicely done. Um, I want to shout out one more rookie, OJ Howard, tight end, uh, Alabama, yeah. now on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ninety-eight receiving yards on six uh, six receptions. He was targeted six times, caught it every time, and had two touchdowns. Buffalo lost track track of him, you know, uh, on pretty much all of those receptions. But that's still a ton of production, and it's really nice to see him starting to take a more prominent role. Cameron Brait still with six catches for 60 yards, but what they're able to do with that duo of tight ends, man, is is a nice little tandem. And, uh, you know, be, between the two 17 targets, came away with 150 yards and 12 receptions. And, and they got they got something brewing with those two guys, man. And Jameis Winston on a bum shoulder throws for 384 yards and three touchdowns, man. Uh, I really like what Tampa Bay has at their skill positions and, and with Winston. Um you know, fortunately, they couldn't win on Sunday. They got they need some help on defense, but uh, man, that's a that's a tough matchup for anybody. Yeah, uh, OJ's really got a knack for just getting invisible in his routes, doesn't he? <laughs> I don't know what he's it is, man. He's always every catch. He's wide open. Like, <laughs> he turn on his college tape. Every single catch, there's nobody within ten yards, and I believe both his touchdowns. Yeah, were just. Oh, yeah. Wide open. They just forgot to cover him. So uh, the other guy I want to shout out is Pittsburgh first-round pick, number 30 overall, T.J. Watt, um, just for the sack that he had. You know, anytime you get a guy who gets a muscle strain early in the year, especially as a rookie, kind of like a, it's like, oh, boy, here we go. Uh, T.J.'s done a really nice job in, in kind of playing through that, and he had a really nice sack against Cincinnati, uh, twisting back inside, kind of attacking the B-gap, uh, was really active with his hands. A lot of the same things that you saw from him at Wisconsin. Hand usage, motor, uh, first step explosiveness, finishing. You know, he actually finished the play, got down in the Dalton and, and finished the play. So it was really great to see, you know, when, when it first came out that TJ had a, a lower body uh, strain. Uh, kind of scared me. It's like, oh boy, you know, this has the potential to really derail his entire rookie season. But uh, he's played very well. Uh, it's good seeing that he still has the twitch and change of direction skills and is able to finish some splash plays and really show up and make big plays for Pittsburgh as you know they they look to be one of those teams that kind of pushes up to the top of the AFC. So that that was great to see from TJ. Kyle, before we get into rookies or not the rookies, the uh the prospects that performed well over the weekend, can we talk about Deshaun Kaiser and and the Browns quarterback situation, but mostly Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah. Who, we were both pretty low on coming out. There's people that said he was the best quarterback in the class. Um, but man, it seems like 
it seems like when Brian Kelly, we, we go back to his comments, and, and I criticized Brian Kelly for these comments uh, back when they came out last, I think it was actually March, uh, when he was talking it was right around about, the pro day. Yeah, it was right, I think it was, it was late March. Brian Kelly said this about Deshaun Kaiser, he should still be in college. He needs more time to grow in so many areas, not just on the field, but off the field, and that stems from uh, some reports that he was out at a bar at like 1 a.m. on Friday, and he was asked about it uh, after the game, and his quote was, I was out, I was at the facility the next day, I'm not here to talk about my personal life. Kyle, I know that you've done quite a bit of work on these Browns quarterbacks. What, what, do, you, what do you have to say about yeah, all that? Yeah, so he's kind of damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Um, Kaiser as far as a traits perspective, is like head and shoulders the best option that they have. But between the ears, he's just so far behind. And then you start getting into stuff like this where uh, he's out until one thirty in the morning and whatever video that there is that exists of this, like Hugh Jackson seen it and he was not happy with it. Apparently he was out with a couple of teammates out of the nightclub past one thirty in the morning on, on Saturday morning. Um, and they had a practice walkthrough something on, on Saturday. He didn't miss anything um but really just like really you just got pulled and benched for a week and then you're inserted back in the starting lineup and three days later you're out at the bar at 1 in the morning like it just that doesn't send a great message right and when you're if you're five and two like nobody probably really cares like Gronkowski does it all the time and nobody cares but Gronkowski's also great at what he does and they're on a winning program and you kind of just understand that's who he is where Kaiser is really scrapping to establish himself at the NFL level. Um, th- this comes a couple weeks after he made a really questionable statement. He, you know, he tried to gloss it over later in the press conference, but you know they had a, a poor pitch inside the red zone against the Jets, a game they lost by three points. Uh, he tried to pitch the ball to Isaiah Crowell and pitched it too far out in front of him and they fumbled the ball, and the Jets recovered the fumble, and they asked him after the game what happened on that play, and Kaiser's response is, I pitched him the ball, and he didn't catch it. And then he's benched the next week, and then he's put back in the starting lineup, and he has a players-only meeting, and that's great, and then he does this two days later, and then he comes back in the game, and he's playing pretty good, and then in successive possessions to end the first half and start the second half, throws interceptions, and Jackson gives them the hook. It's like, Jackson's trying to coach for his job right now. If Cleveland finishes the year 1 and 15, 0 and 16, 2 and 14, it's over. Like there's no way you can justify keeping him back around. The team is showing so little in the way of growth and the passing infrastructure there is just so flawed that that Hughes in a really tough spot and he doesn't have time right now to tolerate the quote-unquote growing pains that Kaiser needs to to grow through. But at the same time, if he would have stayed committed to Kaiser all along, he could have gone to the front office and the ownership after the season and said, hey, look, you know, this is a, a rookie quarterback. You know, we just got our guy in here. We need another year of continuity with everybody and get some more weapons in here since you know, Corey Coleman's on the IR with a broken hand and Kenny Britt has bricks for hands and they're essentially running around with, with Rashard Higgins and David Njoku's they're realistically their best receiving option and he's getting less than 40% of the snaps in week seven. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So Cleveland's in a really tough spot. And uh, Kaiser's kind of made life difficult for not just himself, but for his head coach at this point. Yeah, you know, I like so much of what Cleveland's been able to do with their offensive line, with their defense. But uh, 
passing over Watson and Mahomes and Goff and Wentz and every other Trubisky. They did pass over Trubisky. Yes, they did. It passed over everybody. And, you know, they, they settle on Kaiser with, you know, Kenny Britt, who's been nothing but not reliable for his entire career. And, and just kind of some of the people they're bringing into the program, man. I just, it's, Feels like it's they're tar- gamb- they're gambling in the wrong places. They, they are. They really are, and it's sad because you know. Look, I, I mean, I'm a Bills fan. I get it. Like I've seen disappointment, but there's nothing that compares with what Cleveland Browns fans have went through. And it's, you know, it, it's hard to believe they're not cursed, but man, they don't do themselves any favors with just like boneheaded choices over and over and over again. So maybe one day Cleveland Browns football will find itself. But um, let's talk about some of the players that may help the Cleveland Browns next year and all their draft picks. Another great segue. That's awesome. (laughs) Some of the guys that stood out from the weekend that was in week eight of college football. Uh, Kyle, why don't you go first? Yeah, I mean, we kind of teased Notre Dame at the beginning. Let's talk about running back Josh Adams, who is a true junior. Uh, Adams, this is probably the first time we've talked about Adams at all on the Draft Dudes podcast. And I promise you, you won't have to wait very long to hear us talk about him again because, oh, my goodness. Uh, 6'2", 225 is what this kid's listed at. Joe, he has one, two, three, four, five of seven games this year. He has at least one run of 60 yards or more. His last three games, he has a long run of 73, 73, and 84. He went for 19 for 191 and three touchdowns against USC. And uh, he's already set a career high for rushing yardage through uh, seven games. They're 6-1. and He's averaging nearly 10 yards a carry, 9.2. He set a career high in touchdowns with 8. Not super active this year as a receiver, but he did catch 21 passes for almost 200 yards and a touchdown last year in 2016. Um, So a lot of really likable production. It's really eye-opening to see him really take that next step, which he's doing this year. And um, I guess the one kind of flag is against Georgia. He averaged 2.8 yards a carry and had a long of seven yards. So he he really got bottled up in that game, but he also did contribute 60 yards receiving. He was up over 100 yards of total offense. Uh, Looking at size package, explosive plays, burst for a guy that size, uh, this is a guy that has moved immediately up to the top of my watch list because he's a true junior, he's draft eligible, and and this running back class, um, it's going to be stacked. Just another hat in the fire. Let's go. I'm interested to see what this kid's all about. I'm going to try and take a look at him this week. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. Kyle, the first guy I want to talk about is Pittsburgh safety, Jordan Whitehead. And this got really interesting to me two weeks ago when uh, Jonah Tolles, our national scout, one of our national scouts at NET Scouting, put out a piece where he compared and contrasted Derwin James, the Florida State safety, to to Jordan Whitehead out of Pittsburgh. And he actually said at the end of the article that he preferred Jordan Whitehead. And so it was kind of cool because the next two weeks I was going to Duke for Duke-Florida State. 
to see Derwin James, which I talked about last week. And then I went and saw them last week for Duke Pittsburgh and um, got a chance to see Jordan, Jordan Whitehead that one just a few days ago. And uh, I see the appeal, Jonah. I really do, man. Uh, this is a guy who is very aggressive with his angles and he gets there. So I, I really like that. He takes tight angles and consistently gets to the football, had a, had a good vantage point from the press box to see those angles and the way that he reacts and closes down distances. He's got a lot of burst and a change of direction skills. Um, really like him as a finisher. He finished the game with double-digit tackles and um, 10 tackles on the game. And you can tell he's such a good tackler because there were plenty of times where he squared up a guy in space and the, the ball carrier would try to make a late cut or a late move uh, to try to free himself of Whitehead. And, and he still just kind of bear hugs him and, and brings him down. Like he's got so much control and short area quickness that, you know, he, he's not going to get juked out even at the last second. And really liked what I saw from him in terms of his tackling ability. Um, really good in coverage as well. He, he had two interceptions. One was called back uh, where he carried a, uh, a seam route with a tight end and made a late adjustment, got his head around and, and, and bat, uh, picked off the football, but it was negated by a uh, defensive holding that was away from the play. And then he had the game securing interception on a tip drill where he you know, read the tip and dove and caught the football and secured the win for Pittsburgh when Duke was at the eight-yard line getting ready to tie the game at 24. So uh, Jordan Whitehead showed a lot in terms of his burst, his tackling ability, his ball skills. And uh, looks like he's another quality safety prospect this year. I'm not ready to say he's better than Derwin James or anything like that, but I can see why you would, would like him. And, and a tandem of, of Jordan Whitehead and Derwin James would be pretty damn good. But uh, uh, Whitehead, man, quality football player and, and hat tip to Jonah for pointing him out. Yeah, let's talk about safeties. I got one from uh, West Virginia, Kaiser White. It's a name that's got tossed around just a handful of times here on Draft Dudes. And I got a chance to watch most of West Virginia Baylor because I'm watching – uh, specifically Will Greer, a guy we'll talk about in just a second. But uh, Kaiser White uh, kind of, you know, he, he plays the star role, which is kind of like a nickel linebacker hybrid kind of in-the-box type safety guy for West Virginia. And, and as far as, like, his physical presence, it, it's pretty spectacular as far as he's a really intimidating tackler. Uh, especially in the open field, if you get him a chance to kind of click and close. He kind of reminds me with his stature of like a Keanu Neal, where he's he's 6'2", 215 or so, listed in that ballpark. And he's a hammer. I mean, he comes down and lays the wood. Uh, he's got some pretty nice bursts. I don't think he's necessarily as good of a straight-line guy as what Keanu Neal is. Um, but if you're a team that, that is looking to run a lot of pressure fronts and stuff like that and wants a guy that can play forward and, and has some range... Um, Kaiser White, the big question that I have right now with him is how does he do on the back end? Can he play back end coverages? And that's something I'm hoping to get answered this weekend because I'm going to go see West Virginia host Oklahoma State at noon uh, this upcoming Saturday. So Kaiser White's going to be one of the names that's really high up on my priority list for that game. Yeah, that'll be a great game to hear your takes from Kyle. I want to talk about one more player from my trip to Duke for the Pittsburgh game, and that is left tackle Brian O'Neill for Pitt. Uh, he's a guy that I dogged earlier in the season and talked about some of uh, the things I didn't like about him. But in this game against Duke, I thought it was probably the best I've ever seen. I've seen a handful of games where I focused on O'Neill. And um, in this contest, man, he, he still shows that 
the foot speed that you like and the balance. And he really did well to mirror and pass protection and stay in front of his man. He didn't give up any ground. His anchor was as good as I've seen. Uh, but what I really appreciated about him from this performance was a degree of physicality that I hadn't seen from him in the run game where he was finishing blocks and moving people. And you could tell there was a little extra effort there uh, that I hadn't seen from O'Neal. And I, you know, I worry about guys that don't finish and don't have a lot of power. Maybe it was the opponent he was going up against, but he really did well uh, to finish blocks against Duke and then you know his balance and body control was was very consistent throughout the game so quality performance from Brian O'Neill and um, it was good to see from him because I've been down on him previously yeah I want to give my next showcase to two separate wide receivers that are kind of trending different ways for different reasons um, Auden Tate is one and I don't want to dog Auden specifically because they're in a really tough spot you know Florida State in general the program's just kind of falling apart. They're two and four. They they lost to Louisville thirty one twenty eight. Auden had five catches for sixty two yards. Uh this was actually the first game Auden's played in this year where he didn't score a touchdown. Um and he got dinged again. And that's the big thing for me is I I'm I wanna see him continue to play games f- and stay healthy because as far as a physical mismatch, uh six five two twenty five, like I checks get him off the bus first. Like he checks every, every box as far as an off-the-bus kind of guy. And the physical traits are there. And it, he didn't get a lot of run-after-catch looks in this game. Um, but he was really physical after the catch, kind of running through contact and running through defensive backs. And you compare that to a guy like David Sills for West Virginia. He's a junior, former quarterback, transfer, or quarterback recruit. I believe he committed to USC when he was 15. And then he he kind of bounced around a little bit, and then he changed his commitment, and then he kind of flipped positions and was at West Virginia, and he was away from West Virginia, and he's back again. He's changed wide receiver. Uh, through seven games, he has 15 touchdown catches. So uh, needless to say, he's doing very well for himself since changing positions. He actually has 10 touchdown catches in his last four games since Big 12 conference play started. Kansas State, two touchdowns. TCU, two touchdowns. Texas Tech, three touchdowns. Baylor, three touchdowns. He's went over uh, 100 yards in three of those four games, went for 89 against Texas Tech. Um, Production's all there. Uh, But when I watch him play, this is kind of something where, you know, very steep differences in production versus Auden Tate. And and Sills is 6'4". He's another big body. He's got good ball skills. But if I'm looking for a projection to the next level, this is where I start to get a little leery with someone like Sills versus Auden Tate, where I know Auden Tate, he runs, both these guys run pretty decent routes. Auden Tate physically is a much bigger headache. Sills is getting a lot of RPO looks with slants, where Greer's reading the mesh point, pulling the ball and throwing, and he's hitting him in stride, doing a nice job getting him the ball in stride. Uh, He's a mismatch in the red zone, no doubt. Anytime you're 6'4", uh, he had a great vertical ball where he, he straight up mossed a guy for Baylor. Um, but I would encourage people, if you're looking at Auden Tate, don't get discouraged by the stats. And if you're looking at David Stills, don't get too swept away in the stats, if that makes sense, Joe. Yes, it does, Kyle. I want to talk about uh, Wake Forest defensive end Duke Ajayafor. He's a guy that I'm excited to see in person. Next week I'll be at... Wake Forest to see them take on Louisville. Obviously, Lamar Jackson again in person will be exciting. But Duke Ajayi 4 against Georgia Tech, an option team who passed the ball 11 times in the game, 
came away with three sacks in a quarterback hurry. So on 11 passing attempts, he came away with four, um, you know, impacts there, three sacks in a hurry, a pretty high rate of pressure there. And uh, he was really showing off his toolbox of pass rush moves where his length and his hand technique and his ability to get the corner was really on display against Georgia Tech. And, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about Josh Schwett and Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant and all Bradley Chubb, all these other really good ACC pass rushers. But don't sleep on Duke Ajaya for uh, he's a senior and I'm looking forward to seeing him next week. Yeah, Joe, uh, I've talked about a couple of West Virginia guys. I have to talk about Thrill Greer. Um, we we kind of planted our flag in the ground on Friday here, and uh, Will made me look smart coming out throwing for over 370 yards and five touchdowns uh, in a 38-36 victory. Really underwhelming in that uh, they, they probably passed the ball once in the final 10 minutes of the game. You know, Baylor had a long drive for a touchdown, got an onside kick, went down and scored again. West Virginia went three and out trying to milk the clock. Baylor goes down, scores a touchdown, uh, fails to get the two-point conversion to tie the game. Like, that was the last 10, 12 minutes of the game. And I was sitting there trying to watch the game, and I'm just like, really? Come on. Like, let me see Will throw the ball. Um, But kind of planting my flag in the ground on Friday for fan rag sports on Will, uh, it was nice to see a quarterback that I caped for perform the week after I did a big profile for him, where last year – uh, October, I wrote a big piece on Mitch Trubisky, and then the next week was the Hurricane game, where he probably threw what three touch or three interceptions <laughs> and for eighty yards in the game, and it's like, well, great, thanks. Um, Will did no such thing. Will did me proud. Uh, Will was terrific in this game. You know, I'm really starting. To, you know, I'm at the point now with Sam Darnold. I'm assuming Sam Darnold is going to go back to USC. Like it's that bad. It's it's you look at. Uh, the turnovers and the decision-making and the failure to read a freaking corner sitting in the flat and sinking in cover two. He tries it every week. He makes that throw every week, and Notre Dame made him pay. So as far as I'm concerned, Sam is kind of out of my mix right now, so I'm looking at uh, Rosen and Lamar are probably my top tier. Uh, Baker's in that tier too, and I'm really considering Will is, is being... I, I wouldn't quite put him on Baker's level just because Baker's like really special as far as his ability to to escape and, and make big plays happen. Um, but Will's Will's that next step down. He's right there in that that Baker and Mason Rudolph kind of tier for me personally. Um, I I really laid out a case for why this is somebody we should probably take seriously for 2018 as far as if he continues the strong play throughout the rest of the the. Big 12 conference play and through the bowl game. Um, but again, just a, f- a friendly reminder if you guys didn't catch the article, uh, swing over Fanner Exports and check that out on Will Greer uh, because it, it's about 2,000 words long. It, it breaks down some X's and O's, breaks down a lot of his throwing traits, and there's a lot to like there. And just kind of writing that article and then go back and watching him again on Saturday, uh, saw a lot of the same things that I liked. So it has me really encouraged that I might be onto something here as far as if we're going to start this train. Kyle, the last guy that I want to mention here today is Alabama wide receiver Calvin Ridley. The tide continues to roll, 45-7 to win over Tennessee, covering the spread. Uh, but uh, – Ridley really popped in this game, and he's putting together a really good season. And in this game, you saw so many nice examples of his route running ability. With the way that he is is selling his route stems to 
uh, get receivers off balance and create or get cornerbacks off balance and create false steps and how he's changing directions so smoothly. His stop-start ability and working back to the football and, and crossing the face of cornerbacks, his route running is just really exceptional right now. And uh, he had a season-high eight receptions, uh, also at 82 yards. And, again, you know, Alabama's playing with the lead. They're running the football. And so passing the ball is not a super high priority. But, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley's producing, and the route running that he is showing this year is really – boosting him and my personal evaluation and, and where he's settling on my board. Yeah, great stuff, Joe. That is going to do it for us today here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed uh, listening through. Uh, me and Joe kind of navigate through the weekend that was. You know, We couldn't just keep it to, to week eight college football. There's too much going on. Like too many good rookie performances and and too many Buffalo Bills wins and you know, we we just had to really tip the hat to everybody. So we hope you guys enjoyed this. If you guys did, uh, please feel free to hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Follow follow along with us all the way throughout the winter time and into next spring, leading all the way up to the 2018 NFL Draft. We do this every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We like to have a good time. We'd like for you guys to join us. So we encourage you to hit that subscribe button. Uh, if you have any follow-up questions on anything you heard on today's show, any players you want to hear us profile in, in future shows, you can reach us on social media. Joe is at the Joe Marino on Twitter. I am at NDT. And uh, as we've mentioned at the top of the show, we also do quite a bit of written works for NDTScouting.com and FanRagSports.com. Highly recommend you guys go check those out. Um, I do weekly NFL uh, rookie reports. Just give everybody updates on good performing rookies, bad performing rookies. If your team's rookies are on there, don't hate me, Joe. I promise you Tredavious White is going to be on my list this week for positive performing rookies, so that's something for you to look forward to. (laughs) Uh, Swing over, check those things out. I'm Kyle Krabs signing off with Joe Marino. This is the Draft Dudes Podcast. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Got to get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay, and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.